0: If this morning you would like to to find the scripture that we're going to be in, the the place where we're going to read from this morning, um, you can go to Exodus chapter 3, but I need to warn you, we're not going to be there for a while. So, so don't, ru- I mean, you can go there now, but, but we're not going to get there for a bit. We've got a whole bunch of track that we're going to lay this morning before we get sort of to our text this morning. In fact, we're probably going to read about 25 verses before we get to those verses, because we've got a lot to unpack this morning, and you'll see what I mean in just a moment. Every year, I'm at the beginning of the year, one of the things that I like to do is we enter into a new year is that I like to to take a focused and intentional time to look at the God that we worship. To to start the year off by looking at who God is and and take a moment to to understand the God that we worship. Um, And we do this by by focusing on on a part of who God is, a a part of the Trinity. And, And this year, we're going to take a look at the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. And so, when you ask a question like, Who is God?, This is as big and as as important a question as we can ever ask. And it's a question that, if we're open to the answer to it, it, it will change everything. Because what we believe about God and who God is shapes what we believe and how we see everything, it determines how we see ourselves. And it determines how we see other people, and it determines how we see the world around us, and it determines how we see our place in the world. It determines how you see your relationship with Him. It determines how you understand how you walk with Him. It determines how you understand yourself in light of Him. It determines how you understand your salvation. It determines how you understand His grace. It just determines how you understand his purpose for you, his love for you. It affects everything. With, with how you really, truly understand and see God in the deepest parts of your heart, the mental image of who you see when you picture God will affect everything. Do you see God as an angry man in white robes up in heaven looking to zap us with lightning bolts? Do you see God as not really mad at you, more just disappointed? Do you see God as, as uncaring and unloving? Do you see God as more like a, a Mr. Magoo kind of character who's who's trying to help and trying to do his best, but stumbling and bumbling kind of through, and, and sometimes good comes out of it, and sometimes he makes a mess, but his heart's in the right place? Do you see God as a holy police officer? Just up there watching to make sure that nobody steps out of line. And if you do, I'm going to correct you on it. But I'm just there to watch to make sure you're doing the right things. Do, do you see God as, as a guilt factory? Just laying it on thick. That, that you need to know you were wrong and you need to know you're guilty because I'm God and it's what I do. Do, do you see God as, as like a giant scale? that holds all the good things about you in one hand and all the bad things about you in the other hand and just sort of lets your life play out and will figure it out as you go. And then depending on where the scale is when you die, well, that'll determine something. Do you see God as a cosmic vending machine? That whatever I ask for, God's got to give it to me. Or do you see God as just a self-help genie, that he's really just there to make me, me feel good about me? And it's, But it's important that we have a, a real, correct, biblical understanding of who God is when we talk about God the Father, because of all the members of the Trinity, as we talk about God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I think that who and what God is is probably the most mysterious part of the whole trinity. See, we, we recognize, and we're going to get into the trinity this morning, and we're going to talk about what that means and, and how to understand all of that, but, but as you read through the narrative of the Bible, you're, you're introduced to Jesus. And we get this picture of who Jesus is, and we're introduced to the Holy Spirit, and we get you know, chapter after chapter of Jesus talking about the importance of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And then we see, read Acts and we read all of the letters and we see this, this the power and work of the Holy Spirit. But God is just the constant right from the beginning. We're, we're just presented with the presence of God. Now, Now Jesus and the Holy Spirit are there as well. All three, all eternal, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But for, the, for Jesus and the Holy Spirit, there's sort of these moments where, where we get a picture of who they are. But with God, we just read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's our introduction to God. And then we're left with sort of the remainder of the pages of Scripture to, to try and understand who and what this, this God is. God is just always there. And we're left with trying to unpack God. But in order to unpack who God the Father is, I think we need to start with the basics. We need to start with the idea of, of the, this, this doctrine, this theology surrounding a concept I just mentioned. We need to talk about the Trinity. Um, I don't know if, if you, can you click Shannon? Oh, alright, here we go. Now we got this. The Trinity. There you go. Now in case you needed to know how to spell it. Um, But because understanding what the Trinity means and and what the Trinity is not is foundational and key to understanding who God is himself. Now to start off, um, just to to get cards out on the table, the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible. If you do a a biblical search, if you Google it, does the word Trinity appear in the Bible? The answer is no. No. And there isn't a verse or a passage that you can specifically just go to that says, okay, here's what the Trinity is, here's how it works, here's how to understand it. But if we take some time to unpack what the Bible has to say about God and discover that while the specific word Trinity isn't used, the idea is always there. The doctrine of the Trinity means that there is one God who eternally exists as three different persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Stated differently, God is one being and three in person. These definitions express three crucial truths. This this is how you can understand, or these are the three crucial truths to understanding the Trinity. First, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all distinct persons. Second, each person is fully God. Third, there is only one God. The Bible makes it clear that there's just one God. There's a verse in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, in Hebrew, they would call it the Shema. It's sort of like the foundational principle of Judaism, where they understand that God is one, a monotheism. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Jesus quotes this and, and reaffirms this, actually, when, when he's asked what the greatest commandment is in Mark chapter 12. Sometimes when we tell this story and we say, well, the, the, the lawyer asked, what was the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered, love God and love people. But when we unpack it a little bit more, we see that in, in Mark chapter 12, and verse 28, it'll say that, notice, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he, this lawyer, asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answer, Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then Jesus continues to quote that passage, because that's the passage where it will say, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus affirms there is one God. But yet... The Bible speaks of the Father as God. In Philippians chapter 1 it says grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But it also talks about and and identifies Jesus as God. In Titus it will say while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So God the Father... And Jesus is also God. And the Bible will tell us that the Holy Spirit is God. In Acts chapter 5, there's a there's story, and we're just going to read a portion of it. But there's this couple who comes to church celebrating, Hey, look, we sold our property. And we're going to give all of the money to the church. Aren't we great? Except they weren't giving everything to the church. And there was no reason for them to give everything. But they made a point of... We're given everything. And so there's this story, and we read in Acts chapter 5, and it says, Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? So, quick question for you. Who does Peter say they lied to? The Holy Spirit. Okay, hold on to that, because you're going to need to remember that in like 30 seconds. But lied to the Holy Spirit. And have kept money for yourselves, some of the money you received from the land. Don't, didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? Who did he lie to? Well, here. Who did he lie to? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. All right. Have you not lied, or you have not just lied to human beings but to God? So... Peter will say, you lied to the Holy Spirit, which means you lied to God. So we have have God the Father is God. And we have Jesus is God. And we have the Holy Spirit is God. Now, there's lots and lots and lots of passages that, that we could go to and we could continue to unpack. And this is a tremendously large doctrine to try to cover in just a couple of minutes. That, my friends, is the sound of the church of tomorrow. <laughs> is is there. Where the Bible will say where there's no oxen, the stalls are clean. Where there's no kids, everything's quiet. <laughs> we are grateful for noise. We are grateful for kids stomping around upstairs. But so the question then becomes, well, well, how do we understand this three in one, one in three, one plus one equals, or one plus one plus one equals one, but it doesn't, and how do we understand that? Is, are the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit just different ways of looking at God, that, that he presented himself these three different ways throughout time, or, or is it kind of like a timeline? that in the Old Testament you, you had God the Father, but then God the Father became Jesus the Son, and we had Jesus up until He ascended into heaven, and then God the Father who became Jesus the Son, then becomes the Holy Spirit after that? Well well, that doesn't work biblically, because we see in the Fa- or we see in Scripture that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. For example, one of the, the most common verses that if I was to take a poll, probably the verse that the most people know here is John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he sent, he gave, whatever translation you want to use, his son. It doesn't say, for God so loved the world, he came down, he sent his son into the world, or, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He sent his son he gave his son. The next verse will say for God did not send his son. And Jesus will talk about how he's going to return to the father. In John chapter 16 Jesus will say because I am going to the father where you can no longer see me. So he's not Somehow I am the Father, and I'm going to go back into heaven. He's saying I'm going to go. That the Father has sent the Son, and now the Son is going to return to the Father. But Jesus will tell us about what's going to take place after He leaves. So the the Son or the Father sends the Son. The Son comes. The Son says I'm returning. But then the Son will also say, "But I'm when I leave." there's something else that's going to take place. He says that he and the Father are going to send the Holy Spirit into the world. In John 14, it will say this, I will ask the Father, this is Jesus, Jesus saying, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And if you jump down to verse 26, it will say, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I had said to you, and so we see that the Son is distinct from the Father, and the Spirit is distinct from the Son and the Father. And we get a a picture of this; we we get a very clear picture of this in Mark chapter one, at the baptism of Jesus, when we see the Father speaking from heaven, the Holy Spirit descending from heaven, and Jesus being baptized. Verse ten will say. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And then if we go to John, I told you we were reading a lot of verses. I don't know if you're like, did he forget about uh, Exodus 3? Nope, we're just not there yet. I told you we were going to be reading a whole lot of verses this morning. But if we go to John chapter 1, John begins his book on the person of Jesus like this. In the beginning was the Word. Now, if you unpack this passage, and we're not going to get into this this morning because we only have so much time. But what we see is that as John refers to the Word, he's referring to Jesus. And so when he says, in the beginning was the Word, he's saying, in the beginning was Jesus. And if you look into what the word beginning means here, we would perhaps have an understanding that the word beginning would mean like the start. At, at the start was Jesus. But that's not really the, 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 what the word beginning conveys here in, in the original understanding, that, that, that the, the, the Greek that John would have used. What the word beginning means is... As far back as you want to go. So not just from the start, but just if you keep going back further and further and further, the word was there. Not just back to the start, but there is no start. It's it's a concept of eternity that as far back as you want to go, not just back to the beginning of the world, not just back, but to the keep pushing further and further back, you'll see the same thing. And so from eternity past was Jesus. And Jesus, and the word, was with God. So God the Father and Jesus are there in eternity past. Jesus was with God the Father, not was God the Father, but was with God the Father. And lastly it says... And the Word was God. So Jesus from eternity past was with God, but the Word was God. There's one last place that I want to go to to highlight this idea, and it's found in John chapter 16. We've been there a few times this morning, but this is Jesus, and he's speaking to, and the reason why we keep going back to this part. Is because this is where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he's explaining to them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. That this is right before Jesus is going to die. And so he's preparing his disciples for what's going to come next. He doesn't want to leave them confused, lost, or wondering. So he, he, he sits them down essentially and begins to talk about this is what's going to take place after I'm gone. And so in John chapter 16 verse 13 Jesus will say this. But when He, the Spirit of truth, the the, the Holy Spirit, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He, He will not speak on His own, He will speak only what He hears. And He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify Me because it is from Me that He will receive what He will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what He will make known to you. And so we can see that there's this unity that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son are also distinct from one another. God is three persons in one being. Clear as mud. I'm sure that all made perfect sense for everybody. Nobody has any questions and nobody is like, that's 15 minutes, I'll never get back. If if you would like more discussion on this, if you've got questions, of course, come and ask me. It's a very big and complicated doctrine to unpack in just a few minutes. And if there's an appetite for it, we can always revisit this. I'm happy to take some time and we can have an evening discussion about it. I can do an extra podcast about it or something. So if you think that would be valuable to you, if you've got more questions than answers now, just just come and let me know and we'll make sure to... make sure you can have the tools you need to, to try and understand some of these important doctrines. But why it's important for us to, to try and cover this today is because as we spend the next weeks talking about and trying to answer a question like, who is God, and, and looking to understand this, this first revealed part of the Trinity that we're, that we're looking, at, looking at as God the Father, it's important that we at least just begin with, well, who is God, and what, what does that mean, as we do our best to unpack for us the question, who. Is God? And to answer the question, who is God for this week, I, I want to answer the question, who is God, like this. God is. Who is God? God is. God is what? What is what? That's the point. God just is. Period. God is existence. God is being. God simply is. Now, I promised you we would get to Exodus chapter 3. And if your finger's getting sweaty sitting inside your Bible here, now's your time to shine. You you can take that out, you can open it up, and here we finally are. But there's this story that takes place in Acts chapter 3, and centered around a man named Moses. Now, unfortunately, if you don't know who Moses is after unpacking the Trinity for the last 10 minutes, um, we're not going to be able to get into all of who Moses is right now as well. But what you need to know is at this point in his life, Moses is a shepherd, and he's out tending the flocks of his father-in-law. When he sees a bush that's on fire, which in and of itself is... Kind of strange. You don't just see bushes on fire randomly throughout life. Usually there's a reason why a bush is on fire. But this bush out in the wilderness is just on fire. But what makes it extra special is that it's not actually burning up. That this bush is on fire, but it's not, on, it's not burning up. And so Moses, like any one of us would do, walks over to this bush to, to investigate what's happening. And so we read this in, in Exodus chapter 3. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I. God uses this bush to get Moses' attention. And as Moses comes over and, and he, Moses begins to hear from God, God begins to speak to Moses and outline for him his, his plan for his life. This is who you are. I'm going to send you to the most powerful man in the world, to Pharaoh in Egypt. And I'm going to tell you to go to him and demand for him to set his captives free, to release Israel. And and you're going to be the one to lead all of this. Isn't that great? But Moses isn't rah, rah excited. He's not pumped about this. He's not excited about this. In fact we read in in chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Exodus, Moses tries to talk God out of it. And he gives him five reasons why I'm the wrong guy. And God answers, I'm the wrong guy because of this. God answers, well actually I'm the wrong guy because of this. And God answers him again and again and again. But at one point he asks God okay, I need a little bit of, of credibility here. If, if I go and I say to the Israelites, God told me that I'm to come lead you to freedom. And they say, Oh yeah, who told you? What do I say? I'll look dumb if I don't have an answer. Verse 13. When Moses said to God, or Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what? Should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Moses asks God who he is. And God's response, I am. Now, quick dive into the grammar here. Am is a form of the verb to be. Another form of to be is is. God is telling Moses that I am, that he is, period. God is being itself. God is existence. And so this morning, we've done a wonderful thing. We've moved from one really hard concept to understand to a second Really hard concept to understand. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Hopefully you had coffee before you came to church. Because we usually think of things as either existing or not. Either it exists or it doesn't. There's no thought process that we really engage of like, well, this thing is existing. That it it exists beyond existence. That's why there's there's no answer to the question, who created God? Why, when we read John 1, that God has been around since before the start, whatever our minds can can wrap around that. Because you can't create, there isn't something before, something that always was. You you can't make something exist that is existence itself. But there's something in our human brain and our human psyche That in order to try and understand God, we feel the need to to take him and shrink him and make him fit us. That he needs to be some sort of version of like, a better version of us, but a version of us. It's why when you, you know, when you stop and, and you think, well, picture God in your mind for a minute. So many of us go to like the old man with the big beard, the white robe sitting up in a cloud, because... Instinctively, our brains want to make God fit us. Something we can see, something we can touch, something we have a point of reference to, something that we can relate to that gives us an entry point into understanding God in our human terms. And we can have this tendency to take what's true about God and shrink it down to a place that's manageable for us. And so we take God and we try and pull back and pick at the parts of who God is or what God is that, that maybe we don't like or, or maybe we don't understand and just, just prune God down into something that makes sense to us. I don't like that. So, so God can't be that. that. That doesn't make sense to me. So, so God can't be that. And soon we, we pull away of, of what we, enough of what we don't like or we're not sure of and we're left with a God that's now really made in our image, which is something that, that God said we shouldn't do. Don't make gods in your own image. But we, we pull away parts of, of God that are hard to understand and suddenly we, we shrink God down into like a manageable package, which is everything God's not. And we, we look and we go, there, now that's the God I want. That, that's what I think God should be. But then the flip side of that is so many people stop believing in God because the version of God that they've been presented is this picked at, stripped away version of God that looks an awful lot like us. It looks like our preferences. It looks like what we think God should be like. It looks like what we think God should do. It looks like what we think God ought to be. But then when even though that's not God, we we want that to be God until that God doesn't do what that God should do because we've made God in our own image and then now I have trouble believing in God. The The understanding that we ascribe to God It's just, it can be too small. But as we read Scripture, we see that when God talks about himself, he's doing his best in ways that we can understand to say, I'm bigger than that. Nope, I'm still bigger than that. No, no, I'm still bigger than that. You're getting closer but I'm still bigger than that. And no matter how big our understanding of God grows in, God needs us to know, no, I'm still bigger than that. And that's why it's so important that we realize the truth about God and his nature, that God is outside of space and time. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He is infinite, eternal, immaterial. He is beyond our human ability to comprehend. He is bigger, better, and more than anyone can understand. And when we start seeing God as being itself, we realize that God isn't just simply the creator of everything. He's also the sustainer of everything. Everything that exists is, sorry, everything that exists is sustained by God, who is existence itself. There's just one last passage I want to read for us this morning, and it's way later in the Bible, it's nowhere near Exodus, Um, but it's this this portion of the Bible where, where Paul is having a conversation with some Greek philosophers, and he does his best to describe for them who God is. It's found in Acts chapter 17 and it's verses 24 through 28. So this is Paul speaking. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather he himself gives everyone life and breath, and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Who is God? God is. Let's pray together. Father God, we we come to you humbled upon being able to enter into your presence. That is as, as we've spent the last half an hour-ish, talking about how much you are, how big you are, how great you are, how awesome you are. God, I thank you that the other side of that, as Paul said, you are not far from any one of us. And God, I thank you that in this moment, we enter into your presence. And we can come, your word will tell us, we can come boldly into the throne room of the king of heaven and earth. The one who spoke the universe into being. The one who was before, anything was before. God, you were there. And God, you are our father. So God, I thank you that we get to come to you as our heavenly father. That as we'll talk about next week, as, we were ta- as we're taught to pray, our Father, God, I thank you that you are our Father. You are our Abba Father. You are our Daddy God. And God, I thank you that that's who our Dad is. The King and Creator of Heaven and Earth. And so God, I pray for those of us here today, unsure of themselves, unsure of who you are. Unsure of this God whom, whom they follow but they don't understand. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us today. God, show us another picture of who you are. God, as, as, as Moses was, was later speaking with you. And there's this moment where, where you passed by him. And he came down from the mountain. And his face shone with glory. God, would you pass by us today? Show us a glimpse of yourself. And God, allow that to change everything about us. God, I'm so grateful that we we are invited in to be your sons and your daughters. And God, I pray that as we have a heavenly Father who is all things, who creates all things, who sustains all things, who is all things. God, I pray that you would help us to be able to love you and to worship you with spirit and with truth. God, I thank you for all that you are for us, all that you are in us, and all that you'll do in our lives. We love you. We are so grateful for you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdry.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know his purpose and know his power in their lives and we pray this message ministered to you at hillside church we're a family not by blood but a family that's been bought by blood as family we go